Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said at the start of the service, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled In the Grip of Grace. And as we look at these stories, these sections from the book of Romans, it's the Apostle Paul's mission to give us comfort, to bring us peace, to let us know that in spite of the messes that oftentimes mark our lives, God's grace is sufficient for us. The title of the sermon series, I suppose you could say, came from this idea that Jesus brought forth in the Gospel of John. In the chapter that sometimes is called the Good Shepherd chapter of the Bible, John records Jesus telling us that he is the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says this toward the end of that chapter, My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me. I know them and they follow me. And then the verse that's on the screen. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. What a comforting thought that we're held tight, safe in the hands of our Heavenly Father in spite of what we see in our own lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today making a mess. I suppose I could have put hundreds of pictures up there and maybe some of you have your own pictures. So let me start with grandparents and parents today. How many of you remember that there was a day that you had to clean up a mess after your own children? You can raise your hands. Did you have to clean up any? Or grandchildren? Okay, this one might be a little harder to get people to admit. But how about if you're a student do you remember if you were one that made that kind of mess once upon a time that your parents had to clean up? You can raise your hand. It's okay. Okay, we got a lot of those. I'm right with you. I don't know. I found these three pictures and kind of like them. The one in the upper left, I, you know, a peanut butter spa day. Doesn't that kind of sound actually like it's interesting? Yeah. And then you got, well, if the dog certainly wants to get in on the finger painting too. And then I, I, I'm pretty sure the young man on the right simply wanted to have a grass-like feel in the room, and so he painted the floor green and just happened to get a little bit on the, you know, the wall and the dresser and the television as well. I don't have a picture of it, and to protect the uh, party, the guilty party, I won't mention their name, but my son, oh, oh, my son <laughs> once took a lipstick, not mine, but a lipstick from our house and decided that the wall needed some extra decoration. Uh, all I can tell you is this, that was hard to get that lipstick off the wall. And looking at these pictures when it's not your house, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of funny and yeah, it's not the big deal. But when you're the one who has to clean up the mess, not so nice, is it? As Paul describes his life, we can relate to what he's saying. And what Paul's describing in Romans chapter 7 is a mess. The problem with this mess is there's no way for us to clean it up. But Paul doesn't leave us without hope. He points us to the only solution that we have to clean up our messes, and that's our Savior Jesus. So as we look at Romans chapter 7 today and think about what a mess our lives can sometimes be, we'll first see that it's sin that's the source of the symptoms that we suffer. And then secondly, it's Christ who is the cure for our souls. All right, here's a little assignment for you as I reread some of the verses we heard before. I want you to think as I read through them about a word it can be a couple words, I guess, that describes how Paul is feeling as he writes these words. Okay, I'm going to ask you to give me a suggestion after we're all done. So take a look at verses 15 to 20. We'll read, if, read again. 
I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Somebody confident in the word that you might describe Paul's feelings? You can shout it out. Anyone? We had a much braver service, the first service. What do you think? You don't know. Yeah, well, that's maybe kind of what Paul's saying. I don't know what to do, right? Would you say frustration would work? Maybe he's a little exasperated. Like he's looking at his life saying, how come this is happening? I don't get it, right? And we would agree. Paul is demonstrating his frustration. I heard someone once describe this section of Scripture as the doo-doo section of Scripture. And on two levels, as you, I read through it, did you hear all the do's in the section, right? I want to do, I don't want to do, I do, I do. And then, of course, it's a pretty good description of Paul's frustration, too. He feels like it's doo-doo, I suppose you could say. See, what Paul's describing is a wrestling match. He's describing a fight that goes on inside of each one of us. A fight that is between two parts of us. He says it so simply. He says, I want to do what's good. I have a desire to do what is good. But I can't. I can't carry it out. Paul describes the symptoms for us of what he's going through. He says, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. I'm going to take you back, maybe, to your confirmation class days Maybe once upon a time in confirmation class, you learned that that's called the sin of omission. The things that we don't do that we're supposed to do, right? And then he goes on. Paul says, the things that I know I'm not supposed to do, those are the ones I do. And we would call those maybe sins of commission. Those are simply symptoms. Paul gets to the root of the cause in verse 18 when he says this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. That's where the problem begins. And it goes all the way back to conception. King David wrote it this way in Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What Paul is describing is the difficulty that we have getting past the sin that was passed on to us from our parents, sin that I, as a father, passed on to my children. So he goes on to describe a little bit further what's going on inside of him. He says this, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Maybe at first that description of, oh, I don't do the things I want to do, the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing, that, that was bad enough, but it gets even worse, doesn't it? Did you hear the words in this section? Waging war, making me a prisoner. It's almost as if Paul is describing himself as two different people. And maybe that's a pretty good description. Because living side by side in each one of us are two spiritual Natures, two different natures, one spiritual and one earthly, one human. Paul describes it this way, it's 
Two laws, he says, are at work inside of him. God's law and the law of sin. The Bible sometimes refers to that law of sin as our old self, as our sinful nature, as the part of us that lives only to please me. And fighting against that, as Paul says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. That's the new self. The part of us that was created when we came to faith in Jesus. The part of us that wants to do exactly what God wants us to do. Who wants us to live like God wants us to live. And so what Paul's describing is a civil war of the soul. There are two natures at odds inside of each one of us. One who has a deep desire to follow God and one who doesn't. One who wants to do everything that God says and another one that doesn't. And so there is conflict, a constant struggle in our lives. Maybe you've seen something like this before. I've seen it in other cartoons or drawings with characters where the character, the main character is facing some sort of moral decision. And as that character is facing the moral decision, all of a sudden these two different figures pop up on either side, maybe on the shoulders or up in the air, and one is the angel. And it says to the person, it's okay, you should do the right thing. You know what you should do, do the right thing. And then of course on the other side is some representation of evil who simply says, you do whatever you want, you can do it, it's fine, make yourself happy. And that's the constant battle. And, and, and maybe this is a little oversimplified, but doesn't it cover exactly what Paul's saying? Isn't it the, the strain that each one of us feels in our lives? We know the struggle to live the Christian life is a real struggle that causes us trouble every single day. Let's give us a couple of examples to kind of, to, to just really wrap our brains around this. Think about things like this. I know what I'm supposed to do, right? I love other people. I want to love other people and show love to them. And yet, at the same time that I'm trying to show love outwardly, inside, there's judgment. I'm judging them on what they wear, what kind of job they have, what they look like, what kind of student they are, right? Right side by side. I want to be patient with other people and demonstrate my patience, and yet, even as I'm being patient, I'm thinking about telling other people about what I experienced and complaining about the people that I tried to be patient with. I want to be humble in my service of others, and yet, as I serve other people, isn't there always that hand that wants to pat me on the back and tell me how good I'm doing, how proud I should be of myself? We know what Paul's talking about. You know those sins in your life that come back again and again. And you know the good that you want to do and you feel the evil right there with you telling to do the exact opposite. We feel Paul's frustration. We feel his exasperation. Maybe we can simply say, oh, what are we supposed to do? And that's exactly what Paul says. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can't really fault Paul for his conclusion, can we? Don't we feel the same way? What a wretched person we are. When I look at what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do and what my record looks like, how can I conclude anything else other than what Paul concludes? And then I think to myself, this is Paul. This is a great missionary. 
This is the man who wrote almost half of the New Testament books, and he can't do it. What chance do I have? Paul's hope is your hope. Paul's hope is my hope. What Paul used this section of Scripture to do is to direct our eyes away from ourselves and to the only source, the only place where we can find forgiveness and the cure for our sin. And that one place is Jesus. Thanks be to God who delivers me through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus always did the good he was supposed to do. Jesus never caved to evil and did things that he wasn't supposed to. Jesus became wretched in God's eyes so that you and I could escape the wretchedness of sin. Jesus offered himself, his body, to death so that you and I can have life. That's what Jesus did. That's the joy that we have in our Savior. That's the cure for our souls. For 10 verses of this text, Paul paints a picture of despair and hopelessness. And then in one sentence, he blows it all out the door and says, but we have Jesus. But we have Jesus. He's the cure for our souls. He's the one who won the victory. And that's how Jesus holds us tight, how we stay in the grip of his grace. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said something very similar when he wrote these words, I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Isn't that a great scriptural picture? God grabbing hold of our hand, not letting go, holding us tight as he guides us through this life to the joy of heaven with him. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we recognize the struggle we face each day because of sin. It's okay to recognize that. It's okay to acknowledge the fact, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, that the sinful nature is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with each other. So you do not do what you want. Because if Paul were here today, I think he might say to you and me, let that frustration of not being able to do the things you want to do, doing the things you don't, drive you right back to Jesus. And that's number two. We trust Jesus' victory belongs to us and rejoice every day. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but God has done away with death by giving us the gift of life through Jesus our Lord. And finally, number three, we have strength in our battles because Jesus has already won the war. That's our confidence, to trust in the Lord with all our heart, to lean not on our own strength, our own understanding, but instead the strength of Jesus and the victory that he's won. But maybe you're sitting there yet and thinking to yourself, okay, it's great, we're in the grip of God's grace and, and God's going to rescue us, but how do I stop the battles? How do I get rid of the fight that I have every single day? Will I get rid of that fight? And the answer is yes and no. Not this side of heaven we won't. That's a constant struggle we'll have. But yes, we will one day enjoy fully what Jesus has won for us. But here's some things to think about. When those battles come, don't equate the battle and the frustration of the battle with abandonment by God. We do that to ourselves, don't we? 
We think about our lives and we say, no good Christian would do the things that I'm doing. No good Christian would keep on being tripped up by that sin over and over and over again. See, Satan loves to sow the seeds of shame. And to you, God says, don't forget, I redeemed you. I call you my own. You are my son. You are my daughter. And then secondly, God reminds us of the victory that we have in Jesus and the strength that that brings. Satan is already defeated by the nail marks in the hands of Jesus. Those same hands that gripped you and me went to a cross for us. And the messes that we have in this life are cleaned up by the blood of our Savior. All those messes continue, but not forever. And in eternity, they'll be gone forever as we celebrate living in the grip of grace with our Savior as we see him face to face. Amen. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.